السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إن الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن ولا وبعد My dear brothers and sisters I want to talk to you today about something that I consider to be the number one most important thing in our lives and that is to become standard bearers of Islam and I'm saying that because in my view which is the result of at least 13 years of study and reflection and discussion and dialogue with leaders and ulama across the world I have come to the conclusion that the solution not only to the trials and tribulations of the Muslim Ummah but the solution to the problems of the world is in Muslims becoming standard bearers of Islam and therefore I'm going to try to tell you as briefly and concisely and directly as possible what it means to be a standard bearer of Islam I'm calling this a movement because it is not something that can or will happen with one person it has to be something that must be inculcated into the entire Muslim Ummah and must then be transmitted from generation to generation our situation today is like this picture of this clipper ship which is caught in a storm which is battered by winds it is being pulled this way and that by ocean currents it's being battered by waves and there are rocks which are waiting for the ship to be smashed upon them now if you are the captain of the ship then you need to be able to do two paradoxical things simultaneously and do them extremely well to a level of expertise two things which are paradoxical but both of which are necessary and they must be done to a level of excellence the first thing is that you must never lose sight of your goal your navigation has to be perfect you must never lose sight of your target where do you want to take the ship and simultaneously and I'm saying it that's paradoxical because it's the opposite of that you simultaneously you must be aware of the immediate circumstances around you the immediate forces that are arrayed against you to prevent you from going to your target and that's paradoxical because if you want to be focused on your target then it means you have to ignore the other things which are around that target other things which are immediate you have to ignore the immediate in order to be focused on the long term but simultaneously you have to be aware of the immediate which means that to some extent the focus on the long term will be affected if you don't want the immediate to sink you so two things paradoxical but they have to be done and they have to be done to a level of excellence that is your challenge as the captain of the ship and each one of us uh, uh, speaking figuratively that ship is our life and we as individuals are the captains of our own ships collectively that ship is the ummah of muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and every muslim man and woman who walks the face of the earth today is a captain of that ship so there is an individual responsibility and there is also simultaneously a collective responsibility i want to share with you the hadith of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wa alihi wasallam where he said bada al islam ghariban wa sayudu ghariban kama bada fatuba lil ghuraba aw kama qala alayhi salatu wassalam the hadith is quoted in ibn majah in kitab al fitr where rasulullah sallallahu said islam began as something strange and it will return to being something strange so give, give glad tidings to the strangers 
Islam began as something strange because Islam stood for some things which were not common in the society of the time. And Islam will go back to being considered strange because the Muslims will once again stand up for things which the society does not approve of. And Rasulullah said, to those who have the courage to stand up, give them glad tidings of Tuba. Tuba is a tree in Jannah. So Nabi is saying, those who have the courage to stand up against the flow, against the trend, let them stand up and be aware and be happy about the glad tidings and the Bashara of Jannah. I don't know how many of you are interested in fishing, but I am very interested in fishing. And those who know fishing and who are interested in fishing, I, yeah, okay, I'm seeing some hands there. Know that live fish always swim against the flow. Only a dead fish goes with the flow. As long as the fish is alive, it, it swims against the current. And the same thing applies to human beings. People with live hearts go against the flow. It's only the dead which go with the flow. My question to you is this. For 13 years in Makkah, Rasulullah and his followers, the Sahaba were persecuted, they were tortured, they were killed. And eventually, they were banished from their homes. Yet in one generation, in less than 20 years, the situation completely transformed. And Muhammad and his followers became the leaders of Arabia and the known world. The question, the question is, how did this happen? How did they do this? And the answer is very simple. This happened simply because Muhammad and his followers lived Islam. They exemplified Islam. They were the walking, talking models of Islam. They didn't talk about Islam. They were Islam. They reflected Islam. They represented Islam. They were the living manifestation of Islam. So to put it very simply, this happened because they were Muslims. The question I want to ask myself is, if Abu Bakr was Muslim, then am I a Muslim? If Omar was a Muslim, if that is the standard of who is a Muslim, then am I a Muslim? If Osman and Ali and Talha and Zubair, if Sa'ad bin Mu'ad and Sa'ad bin, and Mu'ad bin Jabal, if Abdurrahman ibn Auf, if Khadijatul Kubra, anha, if Umm Ammara, anha, if Fatima Zahra, anha, if these were Muslims, then am I a Muslim? Are you Muslims? So we need to decide. We need to decide. Because we have living evidence that if you are a Muslim, then you will succeed. You have no choice but to succeed. You have no choice but to be the leader of the world. You have no choice but the world will come to you and ask you, tell me, how must I live my life? You have no choice but that the world will come to you and say, I want to be like you, tell me how. This will happen, it is written, it has to happen. It happened, there is evidence, there is historical, empirical evidence to show that this happens. It happens to whom? To Muslims. Now, if I find that in my life, this sounds like a fairy tale, if I find that in my life this is not happening, then I need to question myself, am I a Muslim? Am I a Muslim? An eagle is supposed to fly. And if I think I'm an eagle but I can't fly, then I have to ask myself, am I an eagle? Because eagles fly. Eagles don't waddle, they fly. And I'm waddling, so am I an eagle? Or am I a duck pretending to be an eagle? Which one? 
the problems with current efforts and alhamdulillah I am not denigrating any efforts but we have to also accept reality the problem with current efforts and all you need to do is listen to the language listen to people speaking to see the truth of what I am saying here the problem with current efforts is number one they unconsciously create a victim mindset we are told that whatever is happening to us as Muslims is always somebody else's fault it is because there is a BJP government it is because there is RSS behind the BJP it is because the Jews are really ruling the world it is because the Americans are doing this it is because of this one and because of that because so all our problems are really not our problems they are because of somebody else the biggest problem of externalizing a problem is you also externalize the cure for the problem if it is not my problem then obviously I cannot solve it but I am suffering so you will suffer if you tell yourself that I am suffering because of somebody else's problem then all you are doing is you are writing suffering as your fate it is a law of physics that you can only change what is in your control so if you say that the problem is not mine somebody else created it then who can take it away that somebody else and obviously if that somebody else is not your friend he's not going to, he will not take it away it's in his interest that you should have the problem so the first rule of solving a problem whether it is a problem of the ummah or whether it's your personal financial problem or whether it's a problem in your family with your marriage or with your children whatever the nature of the problem whether it's a problem of weight that you are not able to lose whether it's a problem of physical fitness whatever the nature of the problem the number one requirement for you to solve the problem is for you to own the problem is to for you to accept that this is my problem I am the cause of this problem this problem is in my control only then can you begin to solve it if you say this is not my problem then automatically you have condemned yourself to suffer with the problem because the solution also automatically gets externalized and this is the problem with our current so-called solutions that they create a victim mindset in the Muslims to say that whatever is happening to me is really not my fault it is somebody else's fault number two we almost entirely talk about our problems never about solutions listen listen to conversations again whether it's individual conversations or speeches always only problem this is our problem this is our this is what is wrong with us this is what is wrong with us. continuously hammering yourself without any thought about the solution and this is negative even if it is true it is a useless thing to do if you are obese and you keep saying I'm so fat I look like a tub of lard I look like a pregnant cow I'm, a, I'm completely nobody loves me who loves a bag of potatoes I'll never find a wife I'll never find a husband you can say this till the cows come home believe me nothing is going to change even if all of that is true nothing is going to change the only thing that will that will happen is you will get yourself very depressed and you will feel worse and worse and worse about yourself now I'm not saying that you should say well you, you know what so what if I'm round round is a shape you tell me get into shape I'm already in shape now that also is no use because you're fooling yourself one way or the other but <laughs> so just negative talking doesn't help and that is what we do as an ummah we just talk negative the whole time about ourselves third thing is when we give solutions we give incomplete solutions we give incomplete solutions for example we say just work on your iman everything else will be fine now what does that mean what exactly does it mean work on your iman means what we give incomplete solutions we say the ummah must come together then everything will be fine we say well very nice so what is the meaning of ummah must come together everyone must play pray with Rafael then is that what you mean that's not going to happen believe me so what is the meaning incomplete solutions and the fourth one is at the end of the day no role models in today's world I will never forget 
my great triumph, which ended up with egg on the face. I was speaking at the uh, University of Massachusetts in Amherst, and usual you know, presentation on, on what is Islam, and usual questions. You, you can always be sure you will get these two or three questions. Terrorism, jihad, rights of women. No matter what, if you talk about Islam, they will ask you this question. So a lady stood up in the back and she said, but Muslims, Muslims uh, in, in Islam, women are oppressed. So I thought to myself, gacha. <laughs> and I thought to myself, now I'm going to fry her. Because I'm going to tell her the rights of women in Islam. And she's going to blow away. And it happened. I told her the rights of women in Islam. I listed them all. I'm not going to spend my time doing that here because you know what they are. But I listed all the rights. And among the ones which sort of, you know, literally blew her mind was the fact that a, a mother can actually charge the father a fee to breastfeed her own child. The woman has a right to say, to tell the father, pay me. So obviously, that lady who asked the question got blown away. Unfortunately, she got blown away, figuratively speaking. She was still there. Because then, she proceeded to put a lot of egg on my face. And, what, and you know what she did? Very innocently, and very honestly, very sincerely, she told me, she said, you know what? I must tell you, I did not know any of this. She said, I am amazed. I am hugely impressed. I did not know that Islam gives women all these rights. She said, this is America. In America today, women do not have these rights. And you are telling me that Islam gave these rights to women 1400 years ago. She said, I am truly impressed. Tell me, where can I see this society? And that's why I call it my greatest triumph with egg on the face. What's the answer, my brother? Where can I see this society? Was the woman being, was she being unreasonable? That is our problem. We talk about Islam, we talk about Islam, we talk about Islam. The world is sick and tired of people talking about Islam. They're sick of, up to their eye teeth. People are saying, put up or shut up. Show me Islam or get out of my face. I'm not interested in listening about Islam. Women's rights in Islam, which you never give your, your own women. Islam means peace. But when I look at Muslims and I see Muslim societies, where is the peace? And so on and so on. And that is why we need to become standard bearers of Islam. Show it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's purpose for Islam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jalla jalaluhu mentioned himself. And he mentioned his prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Huwa allazi, he is the one, arsala rasoolahu bil huda, who sent the messenger with hidayah, with guidance, wa deenil haqq, and the religion of truth, لِيُظْهِرَهُ عَلَى الدِّينِ كُلِّهِ وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ شَهِيدًا So that this deen of this religion of truth will, get, will be proclaimed and will become preferred over all other religions and over all other ways of being and enough is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a witness. The purpose of Islam is to become the most preferred way of being. Deen is not a bunch of theological concepts. Deen is not a bunch of actions of worship. Deen is an entire way of life. And Allah SWT is saying that I have sent a way of life so that this may become the preferred way of life for all people of all time. Why? Because it will be the best way of living. Allah did not say, I send this religion, I send this way of life so that you can stuff it down somebody else's throat. No. Allah said, I've sent this beautiful thing so that you will all use it. 
technically speaking, that should be easy to sell, right? Especially because it's free. I know all of you drive all kinds of cars, but if I bring an S-Class Mercedes outside their brand new car straight from the showroom, and I say, here, is a, here, here, here are the keys for the car, and you say, I ask you, do you want the car? You say, yeah, sure. What does it cost? I say, nothing. Just come and take the key. How many of you, how many of you will say, no, no, I prefer my Santro? Seriously, that's what I'm talking about. If you have something which is worth more than what you have and you are getting that thing for free, then you must be mentally insane to refuse that. Nobody will refuse it. The problem is that my S-Class Mercedes looks like a Nano. Then you got a problem of buying a car or taking a car which is aspiring to be an auto rickshaw. Right? And that's the problem. So what does my Islam look like? Does it look like Islam? Or does it look like something else? I say to you, my brothers and sisters, that the purpose of Allah Jalla Jalaluhu will be fulfilled. So keep, get this into your mind absolutely clearly. Be completely positive. There's nothing to be negative about. Allah's prob uh, uh, purpose will be fulfilled. The benefit of Islam will become clear. Islam will stand out, clearly differentiated. But it will do that only when we present it in actual practical form, <coughs> not talk about it. I've said this a million times before. Islam will triumph by the winning of hearts, not by the winning of arguments, not by the winning of debates. Rasulullah did not argue with people. He did not debate with people. Rasulullah said, debating is a sign of weakness of Iman. Islam will win, will triumph, will prevail, will be propagated, will spread, will be accepted by the winning of hearts. We have to win the hearts of people. And what is the dalil for this? The dalil, the proof of this is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Kuntum khaira ummatin ukhrijat linnas ta'muruna bil ma'rufi wa tanhawna anil munkari wa tu'minuna billah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah Al-Imran, You are the best, the most beneficial of people who have been selected and extracted for the benefit of all of mankind. Allah did not say ukhrijat minan nas. Allah did not say you have been selected from mankind. He said you have been selected linnas for the people. Allah did not say ukhrijat lil muslimin. Allah did not say you have been selected for the benefit of the Muslims. He said you have been selected for the benefit of all of mankind. Who is all of mankind? The Muslims, the Christians, the Hindus, the Jews, the atheists, the Sikhs, the Buddhists, the whoever. As long as they are human, as long as they are people, as long as they are plants and fruits and trees and animals. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said the Muslims have been chosen to benefit everything else which exists. My brothers and sisters, in the life of every man and woman comes a time when they have a unique opportunity to make an impact. Those who succeed are the ones who anticipate it and prepare for it and recognize it and act when it opens. I call that the window of opportunity. If you want to take advantage of the window of opportunity, you have to plan for it and you have to anticipate it and be ready for it. When it opens, you go through it. Our windows open now. What are you prepared to do? And let me tell you one more thing. A window of opportunity opens in the life of every man and woman. But it does not remain open forever. After a point, the window of opportunity closes. And once your window of opportunity is closed, your life is over, even if you remain alive. Because to live is not merely to draw breath. Breathing and living 
are two completely different things. So what must we do? Be Muslims as the Sahaba were Muslim and become standard bearers of Islam. Why? Because the Sahaba are the gold standard. The Sahaba are the gold standard. The Sahaba are the standard against which we will be measured when we stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to whom is all our return. Who is a standard bearer? A standard bearer is the one who carries the flag in battle. In the days of old, nowadays battles are fought like computer games. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about battles where warriors had to have courage and they had to have skill. A standard bearer is a person who held the battle standard. Musab ibn Umayr was the standard bearer of Rasulullah in the battle of Ahad. There are certain things about a standard bearer. A standard bearer is the one who carried the flag of battle. A standard bearer was never armed. He did not actually fight, but he was in the thick of battle. He was in the middle, in the absolute front line. And why? Because the soldiers fighting would always look to see if the flag was still flying. And as long as the flag was flying, they would rally around that and the flag would be a sign for their own spirits to be up and say, yeah, we, we, we are winning because our flag is up. And that's why another thing, the enemy always went for the standard bearer. Because they knew that if they could cut him down, it would demoralize the entire army. So the standard bearer was somebody who had the courage to hold the flag and keep the flag flying without being armed, knowing that he or she would be the number one target for the enemy. Sounds like fun, yeah? Musa ibn Awai radiallahu in the battle of Ahad, he was the standard bearer of Rasulullah And he was in the thick of battle. And the enemy went for him. And his brothers were fighting around him and they tried to save him. But eventually they, they killed all the people around him. And then they chopped off his one arm. So he held the flag in the other arm. They chopped that arm. So he didn't allow the flag to fall. He grabbed it with the stumps of the two arms. And then they speared him from the back. And the flag only fell when Musab ibn Umar fell. And Musab ibn Umar at that time was less than 20 years old. Rasulullah sent a 15 or 16 year, 16 year old boy, but they were men, they were not boys. Today at 20, 25 you are a boy. Wake up boss. Rasulullah sent this 15 or 16 year old man to Medina as his ambassador. He was from one of the wealthiest families in Makkah. He was a fashion icon of the time. People used to ask, what is Musab ibn Umayr wearing today? He used to wear perfumes of such magnificence that he, when he walked past on a road and people came back later, they came on the path, they said, Musab ibn Umayr must have passed from here because this beautiful fragrance has to be from one of his perfumes. When he accepted Islam, he loved his mother more than any, anyone else. When he accepted Islam, his mother called him and said, leave this religion, otherwise you are out of my house. He said to her, I love you more than anything else, but I cannot leave this religion because this is the religion of truth. So she confined him, she locked him up. She tried to starve him, nothing changed him. So finally she thought to herself, the best way to change young people's minds is to cut off the credit card. Cut off the credit. So she said to him, no problem, follow your religion, but as far as I'm concerned, no more money for you. So all your nice clothes and this and that, forget it. It's not going to happen. And get out of my, get out of my house. Musa ibn Umayr said to her, she said to her, my mother, I love you more than anything else, but I cannot leave this religion. This is the religion of truth. If you want to keep me in the house, you are my mother. If you throw me out, you are still my mother. I still love you. I still respect you. It's up to you. She said, leave. As he was leaving, she said, ah, hold on a minute. Those clothes you are wearing, they belong to me. Take them off. And as a favor to him, she gave him a sheet. She said, I don't want to send you out naked. Here's a sheet. Cover yourself. But no proper clothes. Get out of my house. 
my brothers and sisters, the Sahaba paid. They paid for their iman. We got it free. They paid a price for the demand. We got it free. That's why we have no value for it. Rasulullah sent him to Medina as his ambassador. Can you believe that? 15 year old boy as the ambassador of the religion. Musa ibn Amir went to Medina. And a lot of people started accepting Islam. And then one man came to him one day and he said to him, he said, there is one man in Madina, if he accepts Islam, then the entire tribe of Bani Aus will accept Islam. And the Bani Aus are the primary, prime tribe. They are warriors, they are very powerful people. It's a huge tribe. The Aus and Khadraj, two, two major, major Arab tribes. He said, if the one man accepts Islam, everybody will accept Islam. So he said, take me to him. Our job to present, it's not to convince, our job is to convey. So he said, I'll take you there, he's my cousin. But after that, you're on your own. And he said to him, let me warn you in advance, this man is a warrior, he has a short temper, he's a very hard man, so it's not easy. So Musaib said, take me to him. So they went and they went to this massive garden where this man lived and that man his name was Sa'ad bin Mu'ad radiallahu anhu he was the head of the bunny house so they went and sat in the garden on a platform around a tree and there were some other people there and Musa ibn Abay radiallahu anhu was talking to them and in the distance they saw Sa'ad bin Mu'ad was standing with another friend of his and then they saw Sa'ad bin Mu'ad leave his friend and start walking towards them. So this person who took, the cousin of Sa'ad bin Mu'ad who took Musa bin Umayr there, he said to him, watch it, he's coming. And Sa'ad bin Mu'ad came there. And he completely ignored Musa bin Umayr He didn't even talk to him. He talked to his cousin and he said to his cousin, who did you bring here? Somebody who speaks against our gods? He said, the only reason that I am not say, doing anything to you is because you are my mother's sister's son. You are, my, you are my cousin. But you are abusing my hospitality. He said, now take your friend and get out of here. Musa ibn said to him, he made salam and he said to him, this is your place, we respect you and we will leave. But since we have come all this way, he said, I have come all the way from Makkah. Will you not allow me to present my message to you? Just listen. Saad bin Vadradilanu was a noble man, he was a man of courage. And he thought to himself, what's going to happen? I, okay, let him say. And the Arabs were hospitable people, so they said, oh, sorry, I, I'm, he's my guest in a manner of speaking, I'm throwing him out anyway, it doesn't matter, okay, so say what you want. So Musa bin Umayr is practicing the methodology of Dawah of, of Muhammad sallallahu And Rasulullah sallallahu said, always move the man from his platform. So Saad bin Muad is standing there, he's got a big spear in his hand, he's got his sword. So Musa bin Umayr said, will you not sit down? So Sa'ad bin Mu'ad planted the spear in the ground and he sat down. And Musa ibn Umar radiallahu recited Quran for him. And he was one of the most beautiful reciters. So he recited some Quran for him. Sa'ad bin Mu'ad heard that. He said, this is what Muhammad brought, sallallahu alayhi wa He said, yes. He said, let me listen to some more. So he recited some more Quran. He said, this is not the word of any man. He said, no man could have written this. Sadhguru Musa bin Umar said, yes, it is not the word of a man. This is the word of Allah Jalla Jalalu. Sadhguru said, how do I enter your religion? Just like that. Musa bin Umar said, say, la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. 
ثاب بن مؤاد سيد أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وأشهد أن محمد رسول الله And he said, you have, my, you have my protection? Go preach your religion. He got up, he took his spear and he went back to his friend. And his friend later on, he became Muslim also. His friend said, when Sa'ad turned around and came, I knew that this was not the man who left and went. This was a different man coming back. Sa'ad bin Mu'ad then called his whole tribe. And now this is Sa'ad bin Mu'ad's style of da'wah. And I don't suggest that you would practice it. Unless you are like Saad bin Muad, He called his whole tribe and he said, I have become Muslim and I am ordering you become Muslim. And if you don't become Muslim, I will not talk to you. Faras, end of story. The writers of this incident of history, they say that the night did not come before the whole tribe became Muslim. He said, some accepted Islam right there. Some took a few more hours, but he said before the night fell, they all accepted Islam. Because Saad bin Muad had that kind of moral authority in that tribe. They loved him more than anybody else. And their thing was, okay, our Sheikh told us become Muslim, khalas, we become Muslim. Whether we understand, we don't, doesn't matter. As long as he says become Muslim. The entire tribe of us became Muslim. This was Musab ibn Umayr, the standard bearer of Rasulullah sallallahu And my brothers and sisters, that is your challenge today. Are you ready to become the standard bearers of Muhammad sallallahu The first standard bearer of Islam was Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Tasliman kathiran kathira. And who announced this? His Rabb Jalla Jalaluhu, where he said, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ اللَّهَ وَالْيَوْمَ الْآخِرَ وَذَكَرَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Jalla Jalaluhu said, Indeed, the Messenger of Allah, in the Messenger of Allah you have a good example, you have the best example to follow. And who is this example for? For the one who hopes to meet Allah. Yarjullah. What is the difference between hoping to meet Allah? Because everyone, the, the, the return is to Allah. For everybody, the return is to Allah. This is the law. There is no change for that. So why is Allah saying the one who hopes to meet Allah? Because the one who hopes to meet Allah is the one who expects something good from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those who love Allah Jalla Jalalu. Those who have come into the mercy of Allah Jalla Jalla Those who turn towards Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Jalla Jalla These are the people who hope to meet Allah. And Allah is saying, if you are one of those who hope to meet me, who want to meet me, then follow my Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wa Wasallam. And the second condition is, the one who believes in Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and the last day, and who remembers Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala a great deal. Zakar Allah Kathira. The condition of taqwa. Somebody who continuously remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his life. So who is a standard bearer and what is the relevance of being a standard bearer today? A standard bearer is the one who stands for integrity in a world of corruption. The strangers. Who are the strangers? A person who stands for integrity in a world of corruption. A person who stands for dignity in a world of promiscuity and shamelessness. A person who stands for courage in a world filled with oppression. A person who stands for charity in a world characterized by greed. A person who stands for compassion in a world that takes cruelty as a normal, ordinary thing. A person who stands for knowledge, not information, knowledge, in a world that is full of ignorance and rigidity. And I can give you many more. These are the strangers. These are the huraba. These are the people who Rasulullah promised Jannah. My question to you is, are you willing to become a kharib? Are you willing to become a stranger? Are you willing to become one of the huraba? Yes or no? Yes. Insha'Allah, may Allah accept that from you. Then if you are willing to become one of the huraba, then be informed about the Bashara of Muhammad sallallahu the Bashara of Jannah. 
So four critical steps if you want to do that. The first is the niyyah to make the intention. Make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to select you. The second is to build a connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ta'alluq ma Allah. The third one is tarbiyah. Prepare yourself. And the fourth one is top quality, the best possible quality, al-ihsan, in everything we do. So what is the niyyah? The niyyah means deciding to change our entire life. Deciding to change our attitude. Deciding to change how we look at things. Deciding to change what we aspire for. Deciding not to chase money and grub around in the dirt like a chicken. Like everybody else. It means deciding to change our standards. Deciding to change our role models. You can't want to be a standard bearer of Islam and your role model is not Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I'm not saying just lip service to that. Muslims are great today at giving lip service. Who's your role model? Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But you neither look like him, nor walk like him, nor talk like him, nor, nor are your habits like him, nor are your akhlaq like him, nor are your manners like him, nor are, nor are your dealings like him and your role model is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Give me a break. That's a joke. Get serious. Changing your standards. Not only changing behavior, but going deeper than that because behavior is the outward manifestation of your ethics and morals and values. So you need to look at your ethics and morals and values and say what kind of behavior comes out of them. And if my behavior is different, then it means that what I believe is different. That's what it means. So are you ready to make this niya? Why is it so weak? Because it's before iftar? Yes. Insha'Allah. Jazakumullah khair. Second one is desire for mastery. Believe me, there is nothing romantic about doing something badly. There's nothing nice about doing something badly. You either do it properly or don't do it. Right? A person who is conscious of being a standard bearer of Islam, who really and sincerely wants to be a standard bearer of Islam is like somebody who has decided to climb to the top of Mount Everest. So does he think that just because I decided to become, to climb to the top of Mount Everest is going to happen by itself? No. He see, he has decided and he also recognizes the, the, the magnitude of the task. He recognizes that this is a difficult task. So he prepares himself. Just to get to the base camp, he has to prepare his physical fitness. He has to prepare his equipment. He has to prepare his, the, the, the wind that he has to take in his, in, his, uh, in his lungs. His stamina, his courage. Which might take him a couple of years even to get to that level where he can now start climbing the mountain. I'm not even talking about reaching the peak. Even to get to base camp. To be physically fit enough to get to base camp also will take training. So he is capable and he is, he is conscious of the difficulty. And then he makes the effort that is required. That shows the seriousness of that intention. So let us begin, since you made the intention, let us begin by the first thing, which is to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jalla jalaluhu for his help. Make this your niya tonight, in, in tahajjud, in sujood, make dua and say, oh Allah, choose me. Because my brothers and sisters, being a standard bearer of Islam is not so much about your intention. Your intention is required because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not choose you unless you make the intention. But then it is to become recruited. It is to become, it is to be given the job. And like we do with uh, getting a job, we have to do it in the same way. Get recruited for the job. Apply for the job. The second one is Ta'aluk Ma'Allah Connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala How does that happen? Three things Tazkiyatun Nafs Purifying the self Two Glorifying and thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Jalla Jalalu And three Is Kasratus Sujood Tilawatil Quran And Dhikrullah 
remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly in all aspects of our life, glorifying and thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for what He has given us, and purification of the soul, cleaning the heart of all negativity. That's how you build a connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You want to connect a wire to a source of power, what do you do with the wire? You remove the insulation. You remove all the, the, the oxidation that has coated the copper. All the green stuff, you remove all of that. And only then will the current flow. That is the nature of the wire. So, Tazkiyatun Nafs, purification of the soul. My brothers and sisters, what do you need to do if you have the best seed in the world? And you want to plant and you want a crop to grow. What do you need to do if you have the best seed in the world? If you take this best seed in the world and throw it in the sand, or you throw it on a rock, it will not germinate. Even if it germinates, it will not grow, it will not give you any yield, it will not give you any crop. If you want the best seed in the world to germinate and grow and give you the best crop, you have to first prepare the soil. You have to plow the soil, you have to get rid of all the negative stuff in the soil for the seed to germinate and grow. And that is what Tazkiyatun Nafs is. And Tazkiyah starts with Tawbah. Tazkiyah starts with Istighfar. We cannot live our lives the way we were living continuously without change and then expect something to happen. It's not going to happen. Our lives, our hearts have become barren. They have become barren. They are like they are, they are, they have become hard, they have become like sand, there is no nutrient in it and there is no life in that heart. So we need to give life to that heart. And that's what's called Tazkiyatun Nafs, prepare the heart, prepare your life, prepare your soul. And that's why it's very important for Tazkiyatun Nafs to have a mentor, to have a murabbi, to have somebody who can do your islah. Second way of Tazkiyatun Nafs is Muhasiba, is to take account of yourself on a daily basis. Your whole life, where are you going, what are you doing, and daily basis. One of the many things which happens is we get distracted. You're sitting in a, in a lecture listening to something and your mind is somewhere else. Why? Why is it somewhere else? Why are you looking here and there and what not? If you want to be somewhere else, go. You want to be here, be here. This, all of this is training. Distractions will happen. I told you, you have to be aware of distractions. Leave the distraction, doesn't matter. What's going to happen? When it happens, we deal with it. So, Muhasiba, looking at yourself. From morning till night, today, the whole day passed, what happened? What did I gain? What could I have gained? How did I spend my time? What was the other alternatives I had? How else could I have spent my time? and so on and so forth. Cleaning the heart, doing daily muhasiba. What are my gains today? And then the other impurities. How do you eat? What do you eat? How do you earn? Where do you spend your money? All of these affect the heart. All of these affect your life. All of these affect your success. You cannot be earning haram, eating haram, earning halal but eating doubtful things and still expect to have noor in your life, still expect to be connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is not going to happen. Good produces good. Evil produces evil. So if you want noor in your life, you have to make sure that your life is clean. And then we said glorifying and thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shukr is the root and the foundation of all goodness. Thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jalla jalalu. Thanking Him for putting this thought in your mind that you should become standard bearers of Islam. Thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that 1400 years after Rasulullah passed away, Alhamdulillah, in his ummah still, no matter how bad our state might be, in his ummah still there are people who are willing to stand up and say, we are willing to become standard bearers of Islam, show us how. We need to thank Allah for this. 
Only Allah can do this. It's not our doing. It's not our doing. We can't do this. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can change the hearts. And that's why develop the habit of constantly thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and glorifying Him. The thanking of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered this in the Quran. And He said, وَإِذْ رَبُّكُمْ لَإِن شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِدَنَّكُمْ وَلَإِن كَفَرْتُمْ إِنَّ عَذَابِ لَشَدِيدٌ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, and remember when your, when your Rabb proclaimed and announced, if you give thanks, I will give you more of my blessings. But if you are thankless, then verily my punishment is indeed severe. Kasratul Sujood and Tilawatil Quran, these are the two secrets of success. More Sujood, meaning of course more Nawafil, but also being more focused with Taqwa, being obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sajda physically and Sajda also internally. Sajda of the heart, Sujood of the Qalb and the Ruh. By obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala One of the students of Abdullah ibn Abbas asked his servant, he said, what does your master do at home? And he said he recites Quran and he waits for the time of Salah. He waits from one Salah for the next Salah. And in the time he recites Quran. Constantly connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Make tahajjud fard on yourself. And remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tahajjud is the gift of Allah. Imam Sufyan al-Thawri rahmatullahi he said I was prevented from tahajjud for five months because of a sin I committed. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward these great ulama and fill their qubur with noor and give them the highest station in Jannah. See the level of awareness they had. He knew why he, what was happening. You, you say well I overslept, I forgot to wake up. No, 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 no. It is a gift of Allah. If Allah wanted you to be in His presence, He would have woken you up. So if you didn't wake up and you went to sleep and you think you overslept, you didn't overslept. You didn't oversleep. That happened to you because of something that you are doing wrong. So make tawbah. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you. Hassan al-Basir said, Obey Allah during the day and He will make it easy for you to get up in the night. Dajud is a reward. You are being allowed into the Presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jala jalalu. So you can ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and get all your work done. So make tahajjud fard on yourself. Make dua, oh Allah please wake me up for tahajjud. Please allow me to come into your presence. And then wake up. The second very important thing is the importance of nawafil, of doing more. And this is also the principle in life. You want somebody to love you what, do you, what do you do to them? Give them a salary or give them gifts? They give them gifts. You give them more than what you must be giving them. And the same thing applies to Allah Jalla Jalla We come to closer to Allah with the Nawafil. Now obviously Nawafil does not mean you leave the Fard. The Fard is the boundary condition. So you complete the Fard and then you do more. So more Nawafil in terms of Salah, more Tilawatil Quran, more charity, not only the Zakat, Zakat is further. If you leave Zakat, you are out of Islam. So you leave, you pray Zakat, but you give more. And make this into a habit that we do on a constant daily basis. Zakat and Khairat and Sadaqat is not restricted to Ramadan. People don't eat only in Ramadan. Make sure that you do this throughout the year. Make it inculcated into your children. Ask your children, well, how, much, uh, how much charity did you give today? Ask your little child. Your pocket money that you get, how much of your pocket money do you spend in charity? You should ask this question. Because otherwise you are training children to become net consumers. They take the pocket money from you and they spend it on themselves. I, buy, I bought chocolates, I, buy, I bought this, I bought that, I bought some. All for myself. What did you give out of, the, out of the money? What did you give in charity to somebody else? What did you buy for your own brothers and sisters? You are, you are sowing the seeds of family conflict in your children by not teaching them how to deal with their pocket money. You can teach them some extremely important life lessons which will be good for them for decades to come for the, till the end of their lives if you teach them the right lessons. So do this and all practice it for yourself. And focus on pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The famous story of Abu Bakr Siddiq Sayyidina Umar when he became Khalifa, he used to look and see 
what Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu used to do. So he, when he became Khalifa, uh, somebody told him that Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu used to go to this little camp, which is a little bit outside the, the, the town, every morning. So Sayyidina Abu Bakr went there and he saw this was a, a tent and he asked to come and a person said come in and he went there, he saw this old woman, very old woman, who was almost blind, she was almost totally blind and she was alone in this tent and she had a few sheep there with her. So, Sayyidina Omar asked her, I said, he said, uh, does anyone come to help you? What does happen? So she said, yes, there is a man who comes from uh, Madina. Every morning, early, early morning he comes and he cleans my tent and he cooks food for me and he takes care of my sheep and so on and he uh, milks them and gives them fodder and, and all this and he finishes all this and he goes away. And today he did not come. So Sayyidina Umar asked her, he said, do you know who the man is? He says, no, I have no idea. Who is the man? He said, that was Khalifa to Rasulullah And he did not come today because he passed away. To please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The aim to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by somebody who was promised Jannah in this life. And he was promised Jannah in a way where Rasulullah said, there is one man of Quraysh to whom all the eight gates of Jannah will call and say, come enter Jannah through me. And they said, Ya Rasulullah, who is that man? He said, Abu Bakr. My brothers and sisters, the world loves those who give and the world hates those who take. Ask ourselves, what do we give to the world? And what do we take? I submit to you that the world loves those who give. Make a niyyah that that person must be a Muslim. Every person who gives to the world must be a Muslim. And every Muslim must give to the world, to the world around him. So ask yourself, what am I giving to the people around me? The final product of this, insha'Allah, it's my dream, which I gift to you. It's up to you to accept it or not accept it, but I gift to you. And that dream is a day will come, insha'Allah, when there will be a cardiac surgeon operating in a theatre and the scalpel that he holds in his hand, that hand will be the one about which Allah Jalla Jalaluhu said in the Hadith Qudsi, that my slave comes so close to me that I become the hand by which he holds. And that cardiac surgeon, after he performs his surgery, will go across the street into the masjid and give the deliver and deliver the khutbah for Jummah. That is what a Muslim must be. Top of his profession in the dunya and top of the profession in the akhirah, which is to be a da'i ilallah. So reclaim our heritage by being thought leaders to the world. I wrote these lines, the Mufassir who is a cardiac surgeon, the Muhaddis who is an industry head, the Mufti who is an administrator, the Hafiz who is a scientist, 14 years ago. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant. Time limits are up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's our job to work. And when I say all this, I feel my age and I feel my significance which is next to nothing. I'm a small man saying big things. And then I remember my Rabb Jalla Jalaluhu who said, وَمَنْ يَتَّقِ اللَّهَ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجَةً وَيَرْزُقْهُ مِنْ هَيْثُ لَا يَحْتَسِبُ وَمَنْ يَتَوَكَّلَ لَاللَّهِ فَهُوَ حَسْبُ Allah said, the one who has taqwa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will extract him from his difficulties, will find a way out for him and will provide him from sources that he could not imagine. 
and the one who has tawakkul on Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will become sufficient for him. The task to become a standard bearer and to create standard bearers is a big task. But it's a big task for me. It's a big task for you. But it's not a big task for the one who is Fatir al-Samawati wal-Ard. Al-Hayyul Qayyum. Rabbul Arshil Kareem. Jalla Jalalu. It's not a big task for him. And with him, on him we rely. And only him we ask. My brothers and sisters, I end by submitting to you that our legacy will be measured by the quality of those we nurtured. Jazakumallahu khairan. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be pleased with you. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to ignite the love of his religion in, his, in your hearts. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to ignite the love for himself and his messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in your hearts. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to choose each one of you who takes this, who listens to this message. I ask Allah to choose each one of you as a standard bearer of Islam. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take work from you. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to support you with forces that you cannot see. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be pleased with you and never to be displeased with you. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Jalla Jalaluhu Ammanawaluhu, to make you among those who will lead hundreds of thousands of people into Jannah on the Day of Judgment, inshallah. Wa sallallahu ala nabil kareem wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in bi rahmatika ya rahman rahimin. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.